0: The opinions expressed on this podcast are not necessarily those of the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District or its employees. For more information about the Sewer District and its projects and programs, visit neorsd.org. The Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District presents Clean Water Works, a podcast that explores water, sewer, and stormwater issues that affect you and your community. Learn about the people, projects, and programs that are protecting your health and the environment here in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio.
1: was coming down here, and I'm like, what do I bring? Should I bring my laptop? Should I bring some figures, graphics? No, no, figures. No. figures. Gosh.
2: <laughs> These are armchair conversations, armchair casual. Conversations. You know, imagine you're at a cookout, and uh, oh. someone's asking you a question Which about— Which has happened uh, a lot, right? Yeah, you're People right. are
1: like, so they work for the sewer district. What do you do for them? You know, right, you got to give <laughs> some off-the-cuff and Do you just holes? walk away and go get a hot oh. dog? My buddies all like bust my chops, and they'll like send somebody over. They'll be like, "Hey, ask him about the
2: tunnels." Today we're talking with CSO Collection System Program Manager Doug Lapata. Welcome, Doug. Thank you. Thank Clean Water Works. Me. Yeah. Uh, that is a very long title, but at the heart of it, you are an engineer. Is that correct? That's correct. What is an engineer? Oh
3: my gosh, <laughs> he loves a- asking.
2: <laughs> I like to start <laughs> no at idea. really the base level. Some people. Question.
3: I'm having deja vu.
1: You think I asked that question I already? Feel
3: like you might have.
1: Yeah. You know, I think it's somebody that thinks through a situation or a problem um, and tries to come up with a solution. You know, sometimes my wife says I, I have too many solutions for her. She just doesn't want a solution, you know. Oh. And I'm like, sorry, engineer brain. You she know? just wants to be heard. She yeah, the yeah. Right. just know, recognize fix the problem. what she's saying. And, uh, and sometimes we have to think through, like, the worst possible thing that could happen, mm-hmm. you know, to know where to design to or to um, spend extra attention on. And that's, you know, troublesome too. I mean, you know, I ride rides at Cedar Point and I think of the weakest point of the oh harness system as you're like riding rides, you know. That's mm-hmm. comforting. It's like you just can't shut your mind off of like, all right, what's gonna what's gonna be the failure mode <clears throat> of this um, situation, you know, or contracting of how's the contractor gonna take advantage of the contract documents or you know, get us to pay more money for something that we shouldn't have to pay more money for. So mm-hmm. It's a weird mindset. Worst yeah. case, thinking of worst case scenarios.
3: Catastrophizing.
1: Yeah. Catastrophizing. Is
2: <laughs> That's it is. It's word. a
3: therapy word, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but apparently it applies to engineering, yeah. too.
2: Yeah. And also, uh, I think, translating a uh, a need into a, a yeah. fix, right? Yeah.
1: And you want to be practical with it, too. I mean, a lot of people can dream up, you know, architects are more like that, where they dream up a big concept mm-hmm. and what it could look like, I think, engineers tend to think of, all right, you got that, now how do you build it and how do you maintain it? In our world, we got to maintain this stuff, too. So um, you got to think through the full life cycle of a situation.
3: Mm -hmm. What's your uh, favorite part of the design process?
1: Oh, uh, I would say the – I guess my specialty is the hydraulic kind of uh, optimization of things, of how we pick up the flow – you know, in the least impactful way to the communities, at least, you know, cost too. I mean, sometimes we, we had two different shaft sites and we combined them into one and save some cost, save some impact to the community, save property acquisition, like all those things that go along with it. So, and there's different, you know, thinking through like how the the storms are going to roll through these structures and how we're going to be able to capture more CSO flow, Um, you know, that kind of stuff intrigues me the most about the projects. So,
3: Doug, did you always want to be an engineer? Were you like the kid with blocks at daycare?
1: Uh, uh, (laughs) Yes. I think I always wanted to be involved in some kind of construction, you know, heavy civil type construction activity. Hmm. Uh, My dad was a welder. Oh, that's Uh, cool. Carpenter, kind of did all different kind of stuff around the house, built additions on our house and things like that. So... Um, I was always intrigued by construction, wanted to be either a welder or a carpenter or something, you know, related to the construction field. Mm -hmm. Um, And then kind of gravitated towards engineering and and the thinking through of those projects. Um, Like we talked about before, the mindset of just kind of start to finish, how are we going to build it, you know, so... I can't say that I always wanted to be around sanitary sewage. You know, that was mm-hmm. kind of a twist. But, yeah, that um, Definitely around big construction projects and uh, building something.
2: Okay. And how did that happen? How did you end up being involved with tunnels? And-
1: I, so I started in construction management at Bowling Green for a couple of years and then came to Cleveland State for uh, civil engineering and then started working for a company called Wade Trim. Um, and somehow we got involved with the sewer district and haven't left since um obviously there's an endless amount of work for engineers right now in the sewer district and it, it kept me close to home um, and you know didn't have to travel too much and big huge projects that are you know challenging and you know making an impact on the lake and all that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. it's been a good good fit And for your kind of engineering,
2: are you actually designing these tunnels, or are you more overseeing, and we outsource to another?
1: Correct, yeah, we're overseeing. I mean, when I was with Trim, we designed them, Mm -hmm. um, but now we're uh, overseeing other people doing the detailed design, yes. Mm -hmm. So we spend... You know, they spend the, the bulk of the hours and then they have to submit to us. We review them or we have we have a lot of progress meetings and we, we're pretty involved in the design process, I would say, compared to other owners that might say, you know, tell us when you're done. Mm-hmm. We're kind of like, we like to see the process and be involved in the decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you kind of feel like you're designing it, but then you get to kind of walk out of the room and go to the next one and they go back and spend hundreds of hours putting the plans and specs together. Mm-hmm. So...
3: Can you, um, sorry, going back to basics, can you tell us why we have to have these tunnels?
1: Yeah, so these tunnels um, are, are solve or, or greatly reduce the combined sewer overflow problem uh, that's been historically uh, in the Cleveland area where it was built around the same time where combined sewers were a good idea at, the t- at a time in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, the city outgrew uh, those combined sewers and now they're, they're overwhelmed and they have to overflow too often. Um, so the tunnels essentially um, grab the flow right before it would have gone out to the lakes or rivers, uh, drop the flow a hundred, 200 feet into a big linear storage facility. Uh, and then we, in most cases have to pump it back out of that tunnel to the local sewer system and then run it through the treatment plant after the storm. Right. And
3: someone one day was just like, well, the solution to this is to build giant, giant tunnels <laughs> underground, just like somebody came up with that idea.
1: Right. So the planning effort looked at, like, can you do uh, sewer separation, right? It was one mm-hmm. option. And mm-hmm. they would look at you know, what would it cost to rebuild every street in the entire city and put a storm in a sanitary.
2: So instead uh, of one pipe carrying both right. sanitary and the, and the runoff from the streets, you mm-hmm. replace those with two pipes.
1: Correct. And that would, you know, they tried, they did that in the outer suburbs. As you may know, they went to a common trench, right? So it was two pipes but in the same trench. That wasn't, I mean, it was great at the time, Mm -hmm. but now we find out that that's not great, right? Because there's connectivity between those two. So full separation would be, you know, other sides of the street. um, Mm -hmm. But think about how much that would cost Mm -hmm. to rebuild every street um, and find room with all the other utilities Mm -hmm. that are in every single street Uh, find room for those storm sewers redo everybody's connections and that's not even talking about going on private property um so yeah that was one option the the other option is you could do individual satellite locations where you treat you know that cso it drops into a a tank and you do like chemically enhanced rate treatment or something isolated to that that tank or that location But the tunnels allow you to, you know, take a route to connect the dots between multiple locations. And so when the planning effort was done, we build a hydraulic model. We find out where the worst CSO actors are. And then we kind of connect the dots and figure out a a path for a tunnel to take, uh, which would collect multiple locations, store them in the tunnel, and then also be able to pump it back up and get full treatment later.
3: (laughs) So at the end of the day, that was the most financially Feasible,
1: right? Yeah, option. Yeah, kind of transport and treat, as they call it. It's um, way to get all the flow in the tunnels, and then you, you know, you got to upgrade the uh, the plants as well because Mm -hmm. you're going to be treating either more flow during a storm event, so you need a higher peak capacity, or you need more chemicals because you're going to be treating flow for longer because you got more of a volume uh, Mm -hmm. to treat. So you got a so a storm that used to last twelve hours at the plant now they may be treating for 36 hours because they got to dewater the tunnels they treat more flow initially and that differential used to just go out to the lake and and pollute the lake so so everybody's got more responsibilities more structures involved um, more O&M uh, more chemicals more you know just more process and- but the good news is it's less pollution going into the waterways, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. That's the goal, yeah.
3: And it's the right thing to do, but we're also doing it because of the consent decree.
1: Yeah. So the consent decree is the framing kind of legal document that tells us um, what we have to do and when we have to do it by. So that breaks down all the projects in Project Clean Lake into control measures. And there's 25 control measures. We're at about 15. By the end of this year, we'll have 15 done. Uh, So we're a little over halfway. And that's, you know, it gives us dates. We have to start the construction and finish the construction uh, so that we get that. Most of those were ahead of time on. There's a few that we're right up against. Um, But some of the big tunnels, we've been able to advance those earlier. um, A, to get if the project goes great you get the cso benefit earlier um mm. but if something happens on the project you have a little bit of float at the back end and and that can happen real quick um Dugway storage tunnel had you know one issue at the at the first mining shaft and we lost nine months like mm. instantly you know so um and if a tunnel boring machine or something breaks down you know you could lose months there as well as, as well as uh, big costs to um So the the consent decree really guides us to what we have to do, how many overflows we have to be down to. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were supposed to be at like 494 million gallons when we're done. So starting from four and a half billion gallons, we're tracking and looking like we're going to be around 200 million gallons, which is great news. Um, And we beat a lot of the frequencies, too. You know, if they said two or less, a lot of places were at zero or one. um,
2: And this consent decree, this is a federal mandate. Mm-hmm. And Cleveland is not the only city that has to do this, right?
1: Correct. Yeah, there's consent decrees all over the country um, for uh, combined sewer overflow programs, uh, SSOs, which are sanitary sewer overflows. Um, you know, so any kind of, you know, pollution violation, you know, EPA mandate, they, they could put uh, communities or organizations like ours into a consent decree.
2: Mm-hmm. That's got to be an eye opener for a municipality uh, when a consent decree lands on your
1: yeah on your desk. I mean, there's a lot of like sometimes there's a lack of um, you haven't done enough. You know, uh, mm. certain communities like maybe just push or kick the can down the road, and then there's probably been a lot of discussion, and then eventually they've reached a consent decree where they have to you know mm-hmm. go and fix it. But EPA started with you know some of the bigger communities, bigger pollute, polluters first. And, um, you know, then they work their way down to the smaller ones, just trying to make the biggest, you know, impact initially. And then you start to, after you get those big hitters, then you start to look at the littler ones.
2: So our consent degree, we've nicknamed it Project Clean Lake Mm -hmm. and tell us a little bit about the progress. Where are we in that, in that plan?
1: Yeah. So we're doing pretty good. Uh, we're a little over halfway. Um, we're, uh, we have four tunnels that'll be online here, um, uh, shortly you know at the end of this year we'll have westerly online so we have euclid creek tunnel online dugway storage tunnel Don valley tunnel um, westerly is about to go online shoreline storage tunnels in construction we're about to bid our biggest project of the program which is the southerly tunnel uh, that goes out this fall so that's number six and then the final one is big creek um, which will, which will start design early next year on so um, we're making good progress
2: and what's what's going to be the noticeable impact? What are residents and uh, what what can Clevelanders look forward to when these tunnels are
1: uh, completed? You know, I think it's uh, you can obviously see it at the the lakes and streams, um, but you also see it in like less you know reduction in basement flooding. Um, mm-hmm. The Euclid Creek Tunnel comes to mind, where we had an issue over there um, in Councilman Polenick's ward near Lakeshore Boulevard, and there was an area that just The sewer system wouldn't drain very well because Euclid Creek would go from no flow to seven feet of flow. Mm. And the sewers couldn't get the flow into the river then because the water in the river was blocking the sewers from coming Mm -hmm. in. And then we had talked about Euclid Creek for years, and we we finally got it built. And there used to be calls. uh, Every storm event, they would call and call and call. And since we turned Euclid Creek Tunnel on, we have had zero calls about basement flooding or flooding around the houses over there, because we gave Lakeshore Boulevard an express kind of its own drop connection underneath that creek that was spiking so heavily, dropped it down, and jumped it into Euclid Creek Tunnel with a, a lot of capacity, and the calls stopped. And so that that's gratifying, the silence, I guess, is gratifying that mm-hmm. you don't have to hear From them, and you know, basement flooding is no fun. I mean, anybody that's Mm -hmm. gone through that knows how um, it's not a a fun process. Mm
3: -hmm. I just went on the employee employee tour, which Mm -hmm. was really fun. But we went to the. pump station Mm -hmm. for easterly tunnel i think yep and um they were talking about how they had to have a scuba diver go down can you explain that
1: yeah so (laughs) that was um you know the way easterly works it's you know the euclid creek tunnel and dugway storage tunnel are 200 feet down but then the pump station is like 230 feet down below that and it has what's called a raw water intake it's not really raw water, it's sewage, right. <laughs> combined sewage. And um, it pulls it into a big, I forget the diameter of that header pipe down there, but then each individual pump kind of pulls off of that main header pipe. So there's always water down in that in that pipe. And so in order to inspect that pipe, you have to send scuba divers down in there and they feel around and make sure there's no major blockages, try to get gauges on the depth of grit um, that's accumulating down there. Um, just to make sure we don't have a maintenance issue that we'd have to deal with,
3: would you ever D- do that?
1: No <laughs> no no Scuba diving and sewage yeah, I mean, yeah. I've put the dive mask on in Lake Erie and you really can't see a whole lot right <laughs> um, maybe if you're in the Caribbean or something you could see pretty good, but <laughs> that like loss of peripheral vision and like things like coming like from two <laughs> feet away and scaring you, you know yeah. that would not be my thing. I'd freak out and then you know, you can't breathe. <laughs>
3: yeah. Noted. Well, we'll keep you in, in engineering.
2: Though, yes. I yeah. Guess.
1: not Scooby Couldn't though. pay you enough. huh? Yeah. No, no. Yeah.
3: I thought that was really interesting. We also took the elevator like all mm-hmm. the way down to see that raw water <laughs> yep. pipe come in and my ears popped. Like that yep. is how far down it is. It was insane.
1: It's like a skyscraper, but it's underground. Yeah. yeah.
3: It was really cool.
1: Yeah. So that pumps 160 million gallons per day. It can, right? And shoreline storage tunnel, when that's hooked up, that'll drain into there as well. And it's already pumped. We keep stats on it um, so far. It's pumped like 3 billion gallons already. So it'll be a big improvement. You know, the water quality stuff um, is another big sign. Um, The fish in the Cuyahoga River, um, you know, just other things that, you know, people are developing along the lakefront now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we kind of joke, but. If we didn't do what we did, nobody would want to develop along the river and look at it and put views out. Um, mm-hmm. And there's big, huge developments at Bedrock and the, the lakefront and um, you know all these different projects that are now kind of going after those views and people are using the water more and all the kayaking on the Cuyahoga River. So this, the Westerly Tunnel um, is right near CSO 80. It's one of our biggest outfalls on the, on the Cuyahoga River. Like 300 million gallons go out of that one right now, 70 times a year. Oh, wow. And there was a big uh, kayaking paddleboard event uh, a few years ago. And, of course, it happened on a Saturday, and we got a ton of rain Friday night, right? And so these rowers and kayakers are just paddling down the river, and they get in front of CSO-80, and it's like a side thruster that comes and hits the side of these boats, and... They'd get all squirrely and try to paddle the other way. It's like fighting a different river oh coming gosh. in. And it's yeah. all it was all combined sewage at that time. Oh. So that one will be down to one overflow in a year, wow. a typical year, and go from 300 million gallons down to three. And um, and it's when we we'll, we'll activate Westerly Storage Tunnel uh, in a few months here.
3: That's exciting.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Is the site that you can see off of... Um, the Shoreway is that the pump station? Yeah, there? so
1: right, so that's the Westerly pump station. That's what needs to be active before we can start dumping sewage down in there. Okay. And um, so that's uh, you know right by the Soapbox Derby there. That'll lift the flow back up 200 feet, throw it into the Westerly interceptor, and then it'll go to Westerly for full treatment.
3: So I understand that the storm passes, and at that point, all the flow or the additional flow is in the tunnel. Does someone at the plant then decide to pull the water up to treat it, or is it automated? How does that work?
1: We try to dewater these storage facilities as fast as we can after a rain event so that you'd be ready for the next rain event, right? Mm -hmm. You really have to watch the weather, and the plant operators would know how to do this best. But, you know, the storm comes in, their flow rises up and, and then starts to come back down. That's when the tunnel gets full during that peak and then, as the flows come back down, they have to make a decision on all right. So let me, you know, keep uh, all these tanks online. So let give me this pump and that'll bring their flows back up, you know. And then they say, all right, we're ready for another one. As the rain continues to subside, the flows subside to the plant to turn on another pump until they're all the way up to the 36 mgd pumping capacity of Westerly. They have to continue to treat that peak, but then add in these other sources to do water, mm-hmm. um, and so that'll extend them to like. Instead of 12 hours, it might be 36 hours before they get, you know, back to square one. Can you give us an idea of the scale of these tunnels that we're building? Yeah, I mean, the diameters are uh, anywhere from 18 to 25 feet in diameter. Um, And then, you know, most of them are 100 to 200 feet deep. Um, And then some of the the biggest things are these structures that we have to build to drop the flow into Mm -hmm. them. Um, you know, like we're picking up an existing pipe, like Walworth, CSO 80 is a 16-foot diameter, 100-year-old brick sewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the structure you had to build around that thing, um, you know, it took probably a year, maybe more. Wow. Um, so you, you have to maintain flows through that in the meantime and then build this big structure around it. And then some of the drop shafts are 50, 60 feet in diameter, Um with baffle edges, you know, so they kind of stair-step the flow down the Mm -hmm. 200 feet. So the structures themselves are huge. The tunnel's big. um, The flow pickups are big. The pump stations are big. um, Everything's big. (laughs) (laughs) And compared to the old
2: brick sewers, some of which are still in pretty good shape, even after 100 years, these new storage (laughs) tunnels are very robust, Mm -hmm. I would say. They look built to last. What's what's the... uh, What's the warranty on uh, one of these things? <laughs> how long? How long are these going to last? The, the warranty's one year. One year, yeah, on that's on every but, contract. Uh, right? Is that right? Yeah, one year. yeah, yeah. for the contract. You get a but longer warranty on your
1: microwave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we design them. I mean, the designers are, are looking for you know fifty year life cycle, mm-hmm. seventy five, mm-hmm. maybe hopefully a hundred. Um, you know, you make the concrete segments a little bit thicker, um, planning for a little bit of. Um, Degradation or deterioration of the concrete over, over 50 years, uh, maybe put an extra rebar in them for the extra strength. Um, so 24 feet in diameter, and how, how long are they? So each of them are different lengths, but we have probably from 10,000 to, you know, Big Creek will be the longest at 22,500, uh, so 22,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, some pretty long uh, operations, and, you know, they... Build these things. It's amazing to watch them build and check in on the progress. And then you, you know, I get 50 feet a day, 75 feet a day as they're building them. Um, that's a good day. But you know, so it's it's amazing how long it kind of takes. But when they're all done, it's just a big volume uh, that we get to store in there.
2: Um, after spending so many years working on tunnels and pump stations, do you ever uh, dream about designing other things? You mentioned Cedar Point earlier. <laughs> yeah. Like, would you ever? Want to design <laughs> a roller coaster? I thought of
1: like a stadium or something like that, Ooh. or I don't know, a marina. Actually, like some something along the water, like a coastal design, mm-hmm. like a new marina or new community that's in and around the water would be kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You know, always fighting that you know mother nature force of designing things big enough for certain storms or. Mm-hmm. So then is hydraulics, one, would you say, a
2: specialty of your particular yeah. kind of engineering? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: we all have our little pieces, parts that we contribute to the team here, and I think that that would be kind of mine.
3: funny.
2: Um,
3: <laughs> my my question that I wrote down is, can you tell us about your retirement goal of removing as many CSOs as possible? That's right. I do have a
1: retirement goal of that. <laughs> tell us about so, that. So we started at like 128. Um, I think you know we've gotten rid of 16 of those, so we're at 112 now.
2: I'm, I'm sorry, what is this number? So the, to? Sorry,
1: this is the CSO location, oh. so Compromise number of points where we yeah. Yeah, can discharge to a receiving water um,
2: so, so that's you know. a point of note right there. Just yeah. for, for uh, people listening who aren't aware of this, there are 100 and how many?
1: There was 126, no, 128, I'm sorry.
2: So these are points on the river or streams or the lake that, right. that discharge into the environment. Correct, and we're, when we we're, get a big enough event. Right, yep. we're getting rid of these one by one.
1: Right, so we're down to 112 now, and I got this running list going of, like, I think there's 14 on there right now. So the goal of getting under 100 um, is just kind of a personal little little thing that I've been tracking. mm mm-hmm. um, but you don't want to get it's hard to get rid of a relief point too that's the other struggle is you know these are there for relieving basement flooding and other reasons so you want to be pretty sure that you don't need this point Mm -hmm. right um so we don't want to do it you know too haphazardly we want to make sure we really can get rid of these Mm -hmm.
3: yeah i think that's an important point we have some of our communities that have these sanitary sewer overflows so the sanitary sewer overflows usually into a storm pipe that then goes out to a creek Mm -hmm. and you know we we used to find uh bootleg sso's is what we call where it just looks like someone took a sledgehammer and just like punched a hole Mm -hmm. in the sanitary sewer so that it then can come out and go into the storm sewer and then go out into the, the stream but the thing is if you just were to patch that um you were you most likely are going to be flooding people's basements. Right. They're there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um and so you do have to be really conscientious about what you're doing.
2: Mm-hmm. We're not encouraging that kind of DIY uh,
3: DIY <laughs> punching stuff. holes and no, stuff. Are there,
2: some,
1: there are some
3: really uh it's always interesting when you come across them. You're like, Oh yeah. hmm, what tool did they use to bust that pipe mm-hmm. open?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanna talk about your profession just big picture, Mm -hmm. would you say there are too many engineers or not enough engineers?
1: Yeah, not enough. I mean, I think everybody's struggling with, you know, finding the right, you know, generation of engineers. Like, there's a lot of, like, top-end engineers. um,
2: Meaning ready to retire? Yeah, yeah.
1: ready to retire or, you know, have done enough projects where um, they're almost too expensive to, like, work on the projects Mm -hmm. that we need, and we need them to... Continue to coach and continue to have new grads come in, learn. You know the thought process of you know how these projects go and how to put plans and, and specs and stuff together uh, to get all this work done. I mean, because even if we had a ton of money, like there's sometimes a limitation of engineering firms that could do good work and and get them out to the contractors and and get them built. Huh. Yeah, you have a certain team of people that. They look across the country and, you know, they're trying to figure out where the next client will be. You know, like Pittsburgh, is. Uh, they have an organization called Elcasan that's like us, and they're starting a tunnel program. Philadelphia is doing the same. So these groups of consultants that used to be, you know, hardcore Northeast Ohio teams have now had to kind of move to other areas because, you know, yeah. our program is, is somewhat winding down. Um, I think, you know, people are finally realizing that we need to spend money on infrastructure um, on this country and, you know, stuff that's 50 or 100 years old is not going to last forever. And we got to be proactive if we want our cities to continue to function and um, be good places to live. So we got to start doing these types of projects mm-hmm. water mains and sewers, bridges, all those big civil projects. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's that, you know, finding people that, you know, we'll work at a treatment plant. You know, people seem to want to jump jobs a lot nowadays, and mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to get people to stay somewhere for 10, 20 years um, to have that institutional knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, oh, we didn't talk about tunneling under the lake. Oh, oh yeah, that's that, that was a question that I got a
2: lot uh, when Euclid Creek Tunnel was yeah was oh, really? being built. People would ask me, so they're they're digging a tunnel under the lake. Yeah, isn't that right? You're they get saying salt? it's really not that what.
3: Aren't there, wasn't there a salt mine under the lake? There is, yeah. Okay, I didn't make that up. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Okay. But you're saying there's not that much of a difference no. uh, tunneling under the lake as tunneling under a neighborhood?
1: Right. So when we did Euclid Creek design, um, the way the streets on the east side uh, went, which they don't always go straight over on the east side, they tend to curve and do mm-hmm. these weird, um, you know, different routes. Spoken
3: like a true West Sider, Doug.
1: (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, Here we go. We hit a, a tight spot, and we couldn't take the alignment to where we wanted to go to pick up the next CSO point. So we looked at an alignment that went out under the lake. And really, there's no difference when you're down 200 feet in the rock. Um, you know, the groundwater pressure is the same over the lake as it is on the land. And that's so interesting. The only hard part about it was getting the geotech borings uh, drilled where we had to be out on a barge. They had to anchor themselves. And then the drill mm-hmm. rig kind of stuck over the back end of the barge to go down and, and drill the hole. In the first, you know, 20 feet was water, right? Yeah.
3: And that's hard. Yeah. I've taken sediment samples from a boat before. Mm-hmm. Would not recommend. It is not yeah. easy to do. Mm-hmm. We did it from like very far out on the lake because we were Mm -hmm. helping somebody at cleveland state with their data Mm. and it was tricky i'm guessing from a barge it would be much easier we were on like a boston wheeler right right.
1: so it really just saved us a few um easements and um we went out on the lake and then came back in right by one of our cso points where we had bought some land there um, to put a tunnel drop shaft anyway and so we kind of came back onto land and then merged onto Lakeshore Boulevard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the salt mines, they're down deeper, though. So they're oh, really? over by Westerly Tunnel. We had to make sure that we weren't going to impact them with vibrations or other things. Yeah, because that would be scary. We're 200 feet deep. I think they're like 1,000 feet deep. What? Wow. I so want to go take 1, a tour 1, of that. 1,000 deep? Yeah. What yeah, That it? talk about an elevator ride down. No kidding. That's a deeper one.
2: <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today,
1: Doug. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was fun.
3: It was a good time. Did you know eligible customers can save up to forty percent on their sewer charges? Learn more about the Sewer District's cost-saving programs and use our discount calculator at neorsd.org save or call 216-881-8247. That's neorsd.org save or 216-881-8247.
0: Waterworks is produced by the Communications and Community Relations Department at the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District. Our music was composed and performed by G.S. Shrey. If you have a question or suggestion, or if you'd like to learn more about the Regional Sewer District, visit neorsd.org or call 216-881-8247.